Well, good morning, Springbrook. Welcome, welcome in for worship this morning. We are so delighted to have you with us. We are excited. We are anticipating that the Lord is going to do great things in our midst today, and so we're just honored to have you here with us. If it's your first time here, or maybe your first time back in a long time, a special welcome to you. Thanks for joining us. If you are joining us online at our 9 o'clock service, we have online hosts available for you all throughout the service. They would love to interact with you. They'd love to know who you are, answer any questions you have. And if you would like to go into a one-on-one chat with one of our hosts, um, you can click the request prayer button. They'd love to talk to you and spend some time in prayer with you. As always, our desire is for you to feel connected to this community and cared for uh, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on today. So I encourage you to participate in the chat throughout the service as you feel led. Well, I'd love to invite you to stand as you are able in body or in spirit for our call to worship, which for today comes from Psalm 42. I'm going to read the first two verses and the last verse of Psalm 42. It says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's hope in him together this morning in lifting our voices. Lord, I find you in the seeking. Lord, I find you in the doubt and to know you is to love you and to know so little else i need you oh how i need you oh how i need you Oh, 
Amen. Our scripture reading for today comes from Matthew 18. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We're going to introduce a new song this morning that helps us to frame our minds around just how different the kingdom of God is than many people ever expected it to be. A lot is backwards from what you would expect from the values of this world. This is the kingdom of heaven, where children, where the humble, where the broken and lost are the greatest in the kingdom. So let us teach you this new song together, and as you pick it up, we invite you to sing with us. kingdom is simple, as simple as love. You welcome the children, you stop for the wine. We want to see people the way Jesus does. Your kingdom is simple, Lord, teach it to us. Your kingdom is humble, as humble as death. His king is a savior who gave his last breath. So may we die daily, our pride lay to rest. His kingdom is humble. And the broken are blessed. Hallelujah, hallowed be your name. May we live and breathe your praise. Hallelujah, may all creation say, Oh, the King of heaven reigns. Sing, your kingdom is coming. Your kingdom is coming. Your kingdom is here. Alive in our waiting and working our tears. So come to us quickly. Forever our prayer, your kingdom is coming, Lord Jesus, come near. Sing hallelujah.
The small become greater, the last become first. Your kingdom is backwards, so Lord, teach us to serve. As it is with your kingdom, let it be with your church. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is above all, that he is seated on the throne. We thank you that your kingdom is nothing like the values of this world. We thank you that it turns upside down everything we think we know about power and goodness and beauty and love. Thank you for coming to get us when we were lost. Thank you for taking us out of the kingdom of darkness and placing us in your kingdom, a kingdom we can experience right now, a kingdom that we can partake in and participate in today. As much as we do have a future hope of being in glory with you, we actually get to encounter you in all of your goodness right now. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who makes you present to us in every moment. And so I lift up each one in this room for those who are feeling like they're the ones who are broken, like they're the ones who are lost or cast out. Will you remind each one of us how precious we are to you and that in your kingdom the last shall be first. Help us to see ourselves the way you see us. Help us to see with clarity 
and with truth in all things. And we need you, Holy Spirit. We need you in every moment. We need you for our next breath and the next beat of our hearts. And we need you now as we open your word this morning to give us eyes that can really clearly see and ears that can hear your voice in our midst and hearts that are so tender to receive you. May we not leave here this morning the same. May we leave here transformed, having encountered the God of the universe and all of his love and all of his goodness. We offer all of this to you in the matchless name of Christ Jesus, our King, who is seated above all. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Good morning, Springbrook. Uh, My name is Andy Suarez. If we haven't had a chance to meet before, welcome. Good morning. It's great to see all these faces here. Um, If you're with us in person, there is a connections card along the row where your seat is. If you want to give us any information about yourself, feel free to give us as much information as you feel comfortable with. Um, On the back, there's room for prayer requests or praises. We really are a church of prayer. We enjoy so much being able to pray with you and to praise God with you on on things that, that you've seen come true through him. Um, if you're with us online, there's a connections card link in the top right-hand corner of where you're watching us right now. So you'll be able to also do a connections card through there. We have a few events that are going on. We talked about this last week. We have our Operation uh, Christmas Child or, uh, with our shoe boxes that we're doing. We are still looking for volunteers. One of the new things this year was that we are now a collections point for these shoe boxes, and so we need a few more people. So we've been praying about that. If that's something that you can help out with, uh, there's a sign-up sheet where the shoe boxes are out in the lobby, or you can go to springbrook.org shoebox to find out more information about that. Um, we also have our Connections Cafe. That's what it is. Um, so yeah, at the Connections Cafe, we are a little bit low on spots, so we've been praying for two people to come forward and to help out with that. It's a great kind of first-serve thing. They've got a good training program. They'll kind of show you what you need to do and how to do things, and it's a whole team of people, so it's not just you getting orders and taking money and doing coffee. It's, there's a team of people, so it's okay. It's not too stressful. Uh, you can find out more information about that. You can either talk to somebody at the cafe if you're interested in helping out with that or finding out maybe what that looks like, um, or you can go to springbrook.org serve, and there's also a place on there for you to show your interest. Um, we have, we're hosting the Judson Choir this year, which is kind of a really cool thing. This is a first for us. Um, it's coming up on next Sunday. It's at 6 p.m. Uh, it's a free concert. I don't know. It's a free concert for you to come to, so feel free to come. You don't have to pre-register or anything. There is some more information at springbrook.org slash Judson Choir. But yeah, they're going to be here and doing their choir stuff, so that's pretty cool. So feel free to come and join us. Uh, You guys have been hearing every week. This is Pastor Appreciation Month. We've been appreciating our pastors and kind of recognizing one of our pastors every week. Um, if the, actually, if the pastors want to come forward, if there's elders here too, if you want to come forward, uh, we just want to, we're finishing off October, and we wanted to present them with gifts, uh, and then after we present them with gifts, we're going to come down the stairs, and if you are willing and want to, please come, we're going to ask that you come forward, we're going to lay hands on them and pray for them. Um, we, we pick up, October's kind of the pastor appreciation month, and so we appreciate you guys just showering them in love and telling them thanks and getting them gifts and cards and just the, the things that you've done to appreciate them. Obviously, though, we want to appreciate these guys all year long. So keep that kind of stuff coming. Um, when you're doing God's work, you know, the enemy is involved in that sometimes and they're, they're, you know, against that. And so we appreciate you guys continuing to pray for them, continuing to encourage them. And so, um, Dave, do you want to hand out the 
their gift bags. Rich and Tim's still in the Philippines, so um, we'll hold on to his. We'll hold on to his for now. Uh, do you guys want to? How about we give them a round of applause here? And then we're we're going to come down the stairs. If you guys want to come forward, we would love to just pray over these pastors. Just pray. Just pray for them. So feel free if you want to come forward. Otherwise, we're going to be down here. I'm just going to pray. If everybody else in the audience would just extend your hands forward. Heavenly Father, we just thank you during this time of appreciation of these pastors. Uh, as I think about it, Lord, most churches are fortunate enough to have one solid pastor leading a congregation. And yet here at Springbrook, we have four, which is absolutely just amazing. Pastor Rich, Pastor Matt, Pastor Tim, Pastor Joseph. These godly men just give of their time and their talents, their families, sacrifice, just to make them be in the best position that they can to serve the Lord in the calling that he has given them. As I was thinking about praying today, Lord, I thought about how you said that Peter was the rock that you built the church upon. And here at Springbrook, Lord, I think by proxy, you build this church upon your faith and these men as the bricks of the foundation that keep our church strong. And so as we leave here today, Lord, I just pray a prayer of protection, a hedge of protection around these men, that you would bless them and keep them, bless their hearts, bless their minds, bless their health, keep their families safe. And we just pray that you continue to prepare them, to keep them strong and encouraged in this calling that you've lifted them up to do. And we just thank you and praise you in your son, Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Do you want me to take that for you? Yeah, thank you. I'll take that. All right. Do you want me to take that mic? I need it for baptism. <clears throat> well, uh, we are so grateful that you are here with us this morning. I tell you, I, I, uh, this is one of those months that uh, I know it's on the calendar, and so we recognize it, but um, it's interesting for me because we have, uh, we have an elders, we have staff, we have our key ministry leaders, and I look out at the people that make Springbrook Church their home, and the gratitude for me goes back the other ways. It's like, I appreciate people that appreciate me, but I appreciate you more. <laughs> and so I'm just so grateful for the work that God's doing in and through this church. This uh, uh, ministry is, uh, is solid. People are, are just godly, and it's a privilege for me just to be able to lead in a way where the Spirit of God's already at work. And so I told my wife, I just need to work hard at not messing anything up. <laughs> You know, I just am um, grateful for that. This is a generous church, and so uh, we are, uh, God has provided for our ministry this year. Um, it was encouraging to see how many people have signed up for the shoe boxes. We're getting ready to move into a period of Thanksgiving where um, we celebrate um, God's faithfulness. We have an opportunity to do uh, Thanksgiving baskets for people that are in need. We have uh, trees and stars and, and things that we can help people in need in our community, and then we go into our year-end offering as we pray for what God has for us into the next year, and it's through your generosity that this ministry is able to be as strong as it is, and your faithfulness, and so I just want to let you know how much I appreciate uh, what God's doing in and through you um, as well. 
Hey, today we have an opportunity to celebrate a baptism service, and I absolutely love baptism services. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to, uh, to celebrate the work that God is doing uh, in the life of an individual. Today, uh, Marcia and Marcus is going to come out and uh, get baptized, and it's been so encouraging uh, just to be able to see uh, how God's been working in your life just in the short time that you have been at Springbrook. I think your wife, you know, Karina, have been here for two, two months, been about two months, two, three months. That's right. We've been here. <laughs> We've been here for two months uh, coming to church here, and yeah. we've uh, we felt so welcomed. And um, and although this is my uh, my second baptism, this is my first time where I come uh, before you, um, having developed a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, and I've I've come here, and hopefully, I, I pray that this baptism is an act of obedience to Jesus Christ, yeah. uh, who has done so many works in my life uh, for which I can never repay, but I hope to continue, continue strengthening my relationship with him uh, because in him I've placed all my trust, my faith, and my hope. Yeah, well, you and uh, Karina and, uh, and Macy have been a blessing to us. We're looking forward to what God has uh, for you. It was really encouraging to hear your story. My wife played an integral role in my faith commitment as well. I know Karina has been a, a source of a encouragement for you as well. And so it's exciting to be able to see how God works through our spouses and our families as well, right? right. And so, right. well, Marsh and I'm excited to be able to celebrate this day with you. And so uh, let's jump up in here, nice and warm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Outstanding. Marcin, do you believe that uh, Jesus Christ is God? I do. Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? I do. Is it your desire to make him the Lord of your life and to follow him the rest of your days? It is. Marcin, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right. All right. I'm going to borrow your towel there, too. <laughs> Thank you. Outstanding. Well, if you have any questions about baptism, we would love the uh, opportunity to talk with you. Um, baptism is an opportunity for somebody that has come to understand their need for a relationship with Christ, uh, to publicly confess that faith, and to be baptized in a way that Jesus modeled for us in Scripture. So if you have any questions about uh, baptism, we'd love the opportunity to talk with you. Today, we are kicking off our, uh, the rest of our series. Come on, bring that stuff out. <laughs> Need my notes. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Kathy. <laughs> In the way that seamlessly just moves together, isn't that nice? <laughs> We've got a great team. Well, today we're continuing our series uh, above. We're moving through uh, Colossians. And uh, I was thinking about just our freedom in Christ this past week and everything that that means for us. I had, uh, we had our tree taken down uh, in between our house uh, last week, and so I had my grandkids, my little helpers over there. And so they cut this tree down, and it was amazing. They can put a, I need a wood chipper. I don't know if anybody's got a wood chipper. You know, usually you have to clean up your yard and you have to, they had this wood chipper, man, and they were taking like three, four-inch limbs and just grinding that up and making mulch. And I was fascinated by the whole process. And so after they left, uh, we still had some cleanup, and so uh, I had to get out there and pick up all the limbs and stuff, and I had this big pile of limbs, and I, I realized that I can't just drop those off at the curb. You know, there are, there, are, there are ordinances and guidelines in our village that require me 
to bundle those things up. And so just out of curiosity, I went to the Lake on the Hills uh, government page and uh, come to find out there's an ordinance that actually covers how you handle your garbage. And so I'm looking through the ordinances. It says this in one of the ordinances. Materials must be contained in either a 30-gallon biodegradable bag or a standard 35-gallon reusable metal or plastic garbage container. It must be identified yard waste, and it must weigh only 60 pounds. And so I don't know if you know that, but I'm responsible to make sure that my yard waste doesn't weigh more than 60 pounds. There's a lot of ordinances around my garbage. And so and then one of the uh, ordinances talks about landscape waste. It says that including your brush and your branches, your branches need to be four inches or less in diameter. If they're too bulky for placement into paper bags or cans, they must be securely tied, tied with biodegradable twine or string. And the bundles must not exceed four feet in length and 60 pounds in weight. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I got to get my tape measure. Do I have to weigh this stuff? And I was on there, I noticed, <laughs> do you know how many ordinances there are for my village? Lake in the Hills has 54 chapters of municipal codes and ordinances. And then in addition to that, they've got an appendix just for the definitions so that you can understand what everything is. And then there's an appendix for all the fines and the fees. And so I'm thinking about, we, we operate in, in, under laws that we, sometimes we don't even recognize are there, right? And then I went over and I looked at the state of Illinois. Did you realize the state of Illinois is the third most heavily regulated state in the nation? I found 259,832 state laws and regulations. Now, those are on top of my village ordinances, right? And then I've got the state. And then I went to the federal just for grins. And you know what I found out with the federal government? They don't even know how many there are. There was no estimate. In 1927, all of the codes and all the things for the federal government were bound up and they fit in one volume. In 1927, everything that the federal government legislated fit in one volume. A hundred years later, since 1927, all the regulations, ordinances, and laws are now in 50 volumes, and they are adding almost uh, 5,000 rules and regulations to this thing every year. It is amazing to me when you think about getting up in the morning to think about how under the law we are. We are under the law. And it's at every level, at cities, at villages, and ordinances, at states and governments. We are under the law. And we operate that way without really thinking about it until you take your trash out to the curb and realize you can't exceed 60 pounds. <laughs> you know, when many people think about the Bible, they erroneously think about the Bible as a book of rules, rules that are designed to suck the fun out of life. Many people think about the Bible just like they do city ordinances, or state and local laws, federal laws. The Bible is not a book of laws. It's not designed to suck the fun out of our life. The Bible tells a story. The Bible tells a story about a, a God that loves us, that wants a relationship with us, and how to do that. God wants a relationship with us. The story of the Bible is one of redemption. We're in a fallen and broken world. It's messed up. But God doesn't leave us there. He gives us hope. And through our faith in Jesus Christ, we can begin to recover and pursue God's original design for us. The Bible tells about a story. It's not a book of laws and regulations. We are free from those because of who we are in Christ. We have freedom from the law in Christ. 
He did not come to replace it. He came in fulfillment of it. And so all that is due to us because of this fallen and broken world, we are now free from because of who Jesus is. And that's what this series on Colossians has been about. It's been helping us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, understanding who he is and what he's done for us. We're in Colossians chapter 3 this morning, and so if you brought your Bible with you, uh, turn with me to chapter 3 and let's read verses 1 through 17 together. Beginning in verse 1, it says this, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ with God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the creator. There is either neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so must also you forgive. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness to your hearts to God. And whenever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. And so in this passage this morning, we're going to be looking at who we are in Christ. You know, Paul has been writing to us as we've been moving through Colossians in chapter 1 and 2. Paul wants us to know who Jesus is. And so he tells us in uh, chapter 1, verses 15, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so Paul wants us to know who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And so that's who Jesus is. As you move into chapter 2, we get a picture of what Jesus has done for us. You were dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh. But God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. He set those aside and nailed them to the cross. And so this is what Jesus has done for us. We were dead in our sin and God has brought us to life. Our sin has been forgiven. It's been canceled through Christ and through his death on the cross. If our faith is in him, Jesus has set us free from the law, from the penalty of eternal separation and death. As we move into chapter 3, Paul wants us to know who we are. 
who are we in Christ? This is who Jesus is, and this is what he has done for us. As we move into chapter 3, Paul wants us to understand our identity in light of everything that we've studied up until this point about who Jesus is. If you have been raised with Christ, you are to seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. You are to set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. If you have a relationship with Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. The old has died. We have died to ourself. We have died to making our will first priority. We now seek the Lord in his will, in his priority for our life. We have died to ourself. We have died if you have a relationship with Christ. That old is gone and the new has come. And that Christ now is in you. You are new. You, Christ is hidden with you. He is in you. The Holy Spirit is external in the life of somebody that does not have a relationship with Christ. The Holy Spirit comes into a person that does have a relationship with Christ. And we are hidden with Christ in God. And then you will also appear with him in glory. You have the assurance of heaven if you have been raised with Christ. So if you have been raised with Christ, this is your identity now. You've died to yourself. Christ is in you, and you are eagerly anticipating his second return and being able to spend eternity with him in heaven. Jesus came so that we could have life and have it to the full, and so we're not just sitting around waiting for heaven. There's something about what God is doing in and through us together that we get to be a part of and celebrate as we accomplish his plans for us. If you have been raised with Christ. You see, some people have been raised with Christ, and some people have not. This is an either or. It's not a maybe. It's not a I think so. It is a yes or no question. And so each one of us has to ask ourselves, do I have a relationship with Christ? When did I come to understand that this world has fallen and broken, that because of my sin, I'm separated from God? And when did I realize that Jesus, through his death on the cross, paid the penalty for that sin? And so we come to understand our need for that. We confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We make a faith commitment. We get baptized. We identify with him in Christ. We begin to grow in our faith, and we begin a spiritual journey. And so some people have been raised with Christ, and then some people have not. If you are here this morning or if you are watching with us online and you are not confident that you have a relationship with Christ, we want to encourage you to, to settle that issue first. Because without that relationship with Christ, you don't have the assurances. You don't have Christ in you, and you don't have the hope of when Christ returns. Each one of us has either been raised with Christ or we have not. And there might be some of you here this morning that have a question about that. We want to help you to find answers to those questions. And so just let us know how we can do that. You can schedule an opportunity to talk with me or Pastor Matt. Just reach out to us and let us know, hey, I want to know more about how to have a relationship with Christ. At the end of our time together this morning, I'm going to ask you, hey, if, if you want a relationship with Christ, if you want to settle that in your mind, it's as simple as understanding and believing in your head and your heart and, and asking him to come into your life. That's how you cross the line of yes. It's also been my experience that the majority of people in our community have not experienced that. I don't know what your experience has been, but when you're in your workplace, or when you're talking with your neighbors or your friends or maybe your family, when you're talking to people around you and you ask, hey, do you have a relationship with Christ? I'd be curious to know what you find. It's been my experience that the majority of people around us don't understand or have a relationship with Christ. And so that's why we exist. We exist to help others in our community come to understand their need for a relationship with Christ. We want to help people grow in their faith and we want them to be able to experience all that God has for them. But if you have been raised with Christ, 
then that is where your security lies. If you have been raised with Christ, if you are a Christ follower, if you are a Christian, we are to seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We're supposed to be seeking after those things. Our minds should be thinking about those things. We should be meditating on them. We should be, we should be pursuing them. We are to seek the things that are above, which is where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We are to set our minds on the things that are above, not on things that are here on the earth. And it's really hard not to set our minds on the things of this earth, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on around us in our communities, in our lives, in our families, in our culture, politically, I mean, in our nation. There's, there's a lot happening going on around us, isn't there? We have to, we have responsibility as citizens to vote. We have responsibilities to participate in our community. There's things that we're supposed to do. But our priority should be setting our things on things that are above. I know that God is sovereign. I know that God is in control. That no matter what's going on here in my life, I know that God is sovereign and in control. That is the preeminence of Christ. He is over all things. God never looks down and goes, wow, I did not know that was going to happen. And so in the context of what's happening, we are not to dwell on those things. Our, our focus should be on setting our minds on things above. We are to seek the things that are above where Christ is, and we're to set our minds on things that are above. And so how do you do that? How do we seek things that are above? How do we set our minds on things that are above? It sounds good, doesn't it? But how do we do it? You know, in Colossians 3, verses 5 through 12, Paul tells us. He tells us how to do those things. We're to put to death, therefore, the things that are earthly in us. And so there's some things in us that we need to stop doing. There's some things that we need to get rid of. There's some things that we need to shed. And so Paul will tell us, hey, if you want to set your mind on things above, if you, want to, if you want to seek after these things, you start by putting to death what is in you of this earth. And then we're to put on the things as God's chosen ones, all that is holy. We're to put to death things that separate us from God. There's a list of things that we're to stop doing. There's a list of things that we're supposed to put off, and we're going to look at those in just a moment. And then there's a, a list of things that we're to put on, things that we're to, supposed to start doing as we live out our faith and God draws us closer to himself. Setting the things above and setting our minds on the things above requires us to make a change in direction. There are things that we need to put off and there are things that we need to put on. And so the verb to, to put to death, it describes a result of something that has happened in the past that gives rise to an action that we're to continue to do. And so we put this off in the past, we continue to put it off, and we need to put it off in the future. And so there's some things that we should put off. We maybe put them off in the past. We need to continue to put them off and we need to put them off in the future. There's some things that we need to make sure that are not entangling us and drawing us into sin and causing us to stumble. There's things that we need to continually put off. And then the verb for putting these things on, I love that. It's a simple action that reflects a fact. I am going to do it. And so there's things that we need to continually put off and there are things that are just simply a fact that I just need to start doing. It's a simple action of, I am going to do this. And so if I want to start eating healthy, I have to stop going to that cupboard at 9 o'clock in the, in the evening to break out my Hershey bar. <laughs> I have to stop doing that. And instead, I need to start going to the refrigerator and getting the celery out of the drawer. That's been my struggle. <laughs> if we're going to change direction... It requires us to stop doing something and start doing something else. 
If I want to get healthy, I have to stop sitting on the couch. I have to start getting to the gym. It's a whole series of starting and stopping. If I want to educate myself, if I want to learn something, I have to, I have to stop letting other people influence me, and I have to pick up Scripture, and I have to start reading it for myself. There's a series of things that we must stop doing and a series of things that we must start doing if we're going to experience the ability to seek and do things above and to focus our minds on those things. It's a process. Being raised with Christ is a process in terms of how we live out our faith. And part of that process is by first recognizing that God has a standard. There are things of this earth that people will tell you that is true or not true, and so we have to recognize that God has a standard. And so Scripture tells us what God's standards are. And so if we're going to stop the things of this earth and we're going to start putting on the things of God, we have to look to see what Scripture tells us and informs us about what the standards are. And so a process of being raised with Christ means living out our faith is a process, and it begins by recognizing the supremacy of God in our life and recognizing that God has some standards. And then we need to realize where our life is different from those standards, and then we need to make a change. That's what repentance is. Repentance is making a change. It's, I'm going in this direction, I'm going to stop, I'm going to start going in this direction. It's a change of direction. It's a change of heart. I grew up in an environment where if I did something, all I had to do was pray and ask for forgiveness. I could keep doing it. That's not repentance. Repentance means I'm going to make a change. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to continue to work at it, and I'm going to start doing this. It's an intentional decision to make a change. And so we recognize God's standards. We realize our need to change, and we repent, and then we respond with action. And that sometimes can be the hard part. I know what I should be doing, but it's difficult. And this is where the body of Christ is so important. This is where being a small group is so important. One of the powerful things about this Colossians series is as we meet together in small groups is we're talking with one another and encouraging one another and praying for one another about how we can respond. And so a big part of your time together in your small groups is going to be talking about how do you respond with what you're reading. It's a change of direction. A process of being raised with Christ is a, is a process that we go through beginning with understanding our need for Christ. And as we move into verses 5 through 9, Paul gives us some specific things that we're to put to death, some things that we're to stop doing. Therefore, what is earthly in you, stop doing these things. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. God is coming to judge those things. We need to stop doing them. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but if you're in Christ, now you're not. You've stopped and you've started doing it. So we, we need to stop these things. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, all from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And so Paul gives us a list of things that we're to stop doing if we're going to be able to seek the things above and set our minds on the things above. If we're going to focus on the things that are above, there's some things that we need to stop doing. And it's, just, it's a simple list. And so, but, it, but, but I want to take a look at each one of these. And as we go through this list, people are all going to respond differently um, to what we see in the list. And so this is going to look a little bit different for each of us, uh, but we need to start by recognizing God's standards. We need to start by recognizing our need to repent and make a change. And we need to put some things in some action. And so as we go through this list, I'll be praying that God would help you to be able to see where there's things that are holding you back from experiencing God's best for you. The first one that he mentions is sexual immorality. And that, it, that implies that there's something that is moral. If there's immorality, there has to be something moral, right? 
And so what is morality? It's this distinction between what is right and what is wrong. It's a distinction between what is good and bad behavior. And so morality describes what is good and acceptable and what is not. The things of this earth, this earth defines morality completely different than what we find in Scripture. I don't know, did, has anybody experienced that? <laughs> you know, when you talk to people about what you find in Scripture, oh, that's just outdated. That doesn't apply for today anymore. Times are different. You know, conversations with others would lead you to believe that, the, that we need to adjust what we find in Scripture to what we are experiencing in our world. But our experience does not inform our understanding of what's right or wrong. God has a standard for us. And so when he's talking about sexual immorality, he is talking specifically about a relationship between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. There is sex. Sex is a great thing. It's a healthy thing in the context of marriage between one man and one woman. And so Paul says, hey, if you want to pursue the things that are above, you want to seek your mind on, you, you have to put off any sexual immorality which means that if they're having sex outside the context of marriage, you need to put that off. You know, some of you have been raised in a, an environment where, it's, for example, it's okay to live together. And that's, a, that's an earthly standard. In fact, um, I was, there's a couple of villages up in, uh, cities up in um, uh, New York that I was reading about, and it was estimated that 90% of the people in some of these communities, nobody's married. I was reading about, uh, actually it was divorce and remarriage, divorce rates, the divorce rate in America has been hovering around, you know, 50%. So when you get married, there's a 50% chance that your marriage won't work, which is why premarital counseling and, and being in context with other people like encouraging your faith is so important. Marriage just takes a lot of work. And, uh, and statistically, the divorce rate's been going up. It's kind of plateaued. And so if you look at the divorce rate in the United States, um, it doesn't show where things are getting any worse. And so you can celebrate. Hey, look, the divorce rate's plateaued. It's not getting any worse. Isn't that something to celebrate? It's not. Because what we're finding is, is that in some communities, 90% of people aren't even married. And so when you separate, there's no statistic that you can capture on that. And so people are, are living together, and they're not getting married, and so you lose. So those relationships aren't even being able to capture. The odds of a couple staying together after five years of marriage has declined, even factoring those other factors in, to probably about 70%. And so... This sexual immorality issue is important because if your marriage is not based on a standard, then you don't have any place to turn when there's a problem. And so when Paul's talking about sexual immorality, he's talking specifically about the marriage between one man and one woman and sex in the context of that marriage. Anything outside of that is sexual immorality. And he says, put those things off. Put off sexual immorality. Stop doing what you're doing. Make a change. Go the other direction. Stop sexual immorality. He says, stop with the impurity. You know, he mentions impurity from the perspective that also in the context of sexual connotations, there's things that are indecent. There's sexual impurity. There's things that are happening outside of the context of marriage that we are to, to stop. And so that impurity is anything that would defile a relationship between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. And so if there's anything that's in our lives that, that is interfering with the intimacy in our relationship with our spouse, if there's anything that's happening outside of the context of the marriage, we are to, to stop that. Now, I don't know what your experience has been, but you're not going to hear that from our culture, are you? That's not anything that anybody on the earth is going to be talking about, but we're to stop putting our minds on the things of the earth. The earth is not our standard. 
The culture does not define the standard of what's right and wrong. Culture does not define morality. That's defined by Scripture. And so we must understand God's got some standards. And so Paul says, if there's things in this area of your life that you are participating in, stop. You need to put to death those things and stop. Stop with sexual immorality. Stop with impurity and and stop with these passions that are unhealthy. Also looking at the context of sex, there are, there are passions that are strong and they're unbridled. There's passions and there's lust and there's things that motivate us to be pulled from God's standard of sex and healthy relationship in the context of marriage. And this is where pornography fits in. This is where lust fits in. And so there are things that we're doing. There's things that our eyes are seeing. There's things that are influencing our hearts. All those things are those unhealthy passions we are to stop. And so these are things that are all internal for us. And so we have to stop and evaluate ourselves according to God's standard and say, hey, is there there's something in my relationship that is interfering with the fullness of what God has to do in my life? If I'm going to seek the things that are above, if I'm going to set my mind on those things, I need to put these things away. I need to put them to death. I have to put together, uh, put to death evil desires. You know, those evil desires, they're, they're intense and often violent cravings for things that are potentially unhealthy for us. There are things that draw us in that are unhealthy. There's evil desires that, are, that, are, that will pull us into the wrong direction. One of the things I love about our Celebrate Recovery ministry is, is that we've got, we have these hurts and these habits and these hang-ups that can hold us back, and, and we need to know that that's not God's design for us. And so as we study scriptures, we encourage one another, we encourage one another not to get pulled into things that are causing us to have unhealthy passions or evil desires. We have the intense and often violent cravings for things that are not healthy for us. And Paul says, stop. Put those things to death. Put together covetedness and idolatry. Covetedness is that strong desire to have something or someone that, is, that doesn't belong to us. And so when you covet somebody else's stuff or when you covet somebody else's relationships, those are all covetedness. It's, it's idolatry. It's putting those desires ahead of our desire for God. It's putting something before him, and that's idolatry. And so if we're not seeking the things above, if we're not setting our minds on things above, anything that you can't do without is become an idol. You know, if you want to know if you're addicted to something, try not doing it for a week. You know, I have my, I told, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I got off Facebook. <laughs> Man, that first week was painful. <laughs> and now I'm getting into it, and I'm going a month into it, and so it's getting a little bit easier, it's getting a little bit easier. You know, I talk with guys, especially I have, based on, you know, from my background, I, I kind of connect, I came out of a, an alcoholic family, I struggle with alcoholism, and you know, I talk to guys all the time, I don't have a problem with alcohol. You don't have a problem with alcohol? No, no. I said, well, stop drinking for a week. Well, I don't have to do that. I don't have a problem with it. I don't have to stop for a week to prove anything to you. Stop for a week, and I'll tell you if you have a problem with it or not. You know, if you're caught up in some pattern of behavior and you can't stop it, then it's probably idolatry. It's probably something that's got a hold of you that's preventing you and holding you back from seeking and experiencing more of what God has for you. And so Paul gives us this list of things that we're to put off, we're to stop doing it, we're, we're to put off anger. You know, in verse 8, we talked about putting off our anger. Put these things away. Anger is, is something that we're, we're holding something against someone without any thought to reconciliation. If you're angry with somebody, stop and go talk with them about it. Don't carry that anger inside of you. You're the only one that's going to suffer from that. If you're holding on to anger and bitterness, put those things away. They're going to interfere with your relationship with others and with God. And we're to stop holding on to wrath. Wrath is the swelling up of that anger 
It's the hot temper. It's the, it's the angry outbursts. And so we're to put those things away. We're to, we're to be meek and wise like those among us. Put off the anger. Put off the wrath. Put off the malice. Malice is an unhealthy dislike. It's going to lead to potential hatefulness. And so when we have malice towards something, it's hatefulness or a dislike or you know, violent unwill. We're to stop slander. It's harmful and abusive speech that goes against somebody's reputation. You know, if you're mentioning somebody else's name in a sentence and you mention that person's name and they're standing there listening to you and you have a problem with if they heard that, then that's probably slanderous. So you should never use anybody else's name in the context of a sentence where if they heard it, there would be a problem. We need to put off slander, stop talking abusively and stop gossiping. We're to stop with the obscene language. You know, filthy and obese language. This is what this is talking about here. I got a funny story about this one because I struggled with this one. <laughs> I grew up in a house and uh, I made a joke uh, in one of our starting point classes. My, um, my whole, one side of my family are all plumbers and uh, they own plumbing companies and, and you get in some trades uh, and it's just what you do, right? I don't know if you've had that experience. Um, some of the environments that I've been in, it's just everybody swears and you get caught up into it. Sometimes when I go into an environment and everybody's language is you know, kind of obscene, I have to catch myself. I, mean, I don't want to go back there. But it's funny because I, I made a joke about, well, I grew up in a plumber's family and there was a guy sitting there who was a plumber. He goes, well, what's that got to do with anything? <laughs> I was like, well, in my context, you know, all the people in my plumbing company you know, swore. So sorry. <laughs> Just because you're in a trade doesn't mean you know, you're going to speak abusively. But we get in some industries, you get around some workplaces, and that's just what happens, isn't it? You know, I, it took me a while. When I first became a believer, I was telling uh, Marson uh, this morning that when I said Jesus Christ after I became a believer, I, I cringed for a little while because is it okay to say that? Because I grew up in an environment where that was a cuss word. I'd get my mouth washed out with soap if I had said that. And so Jesus Christ can be used as a swear word. We're not to take the Lord's name in vain. He takes that seriously. And so and we, we need to watch our language when we're around others. We need to watch our language if we're going to pursue that which God has for us. And we're not to lie to one another. Lying is just simply withholding the truth. It's not being a truth teller. It's not revealing the whole truth. It's holding something back that somebody else needs to know. And we're to put that off as well. And so Paul gives us a list of things that we are to put off. If you want to seek that which is above, if you want to put your mind on things that are above, if you want to focus on the things that are above, you need to put these things off or they will interfere with your ability to be able to experience that. Instead, we're to put some things on. Instead, put on them as God-chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bear with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgive them, just as the Lord has forgiven you. You must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so Paul gives us a list of things that we're to put off, and then he gives us a list of things that we're to put on. We're to, give, we're to put on compassionate hearts. You know, compassionate hearts are recognizing the suffering of others and then taking action to help. Jesus, when he looked out amongst the crowds, had compassion on them. He saw something about their situation. He had compassion on them, and he was moved to act. Compassion is seeing the suffering from others and then moving to take action to help without any expectation of anything in return. That's what compassion is. We're to have compassionate hearts. We're to be kind towards one another. 
It's the friendliness. It's the, gen, it's the generosity. It's the being considerate of people around you. And so we need to be known as people that are kind, compassionate, and kind. We're, we need to put on humility. Humility is that voluntary submission and unselfishness given a circumstance. And so we are to be people of humility. We're to put humility on in a sense that we, we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. In our conversations with the people around us, we need to make sure that we're coming across as humble, not as know-it-alls. We're to come across as people that have a, a respect for the relationship and are not lording over what we know over other people. We need to, we need to walk with humility. We're to put humility on and, and we're to be meek. You know, when Jesus said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers, he's not talking about being a pushover. Being meek is not being a pushover. Being meek is having a humble attitude and patient endurance of offenses. Something wrong has happened. There's been an offense. I'm going to be patient as I wait on what God would have through that solution. That's what being meek is. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be a consequence. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be a bad consequence. It doesn't mean that we have to be a pushover, but it does mean that we're going to patiently endure an offense as we wait for what God has for us as we work out a situation. And so we're to be meek. We're to be patient with one another. Tolerate any delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. This is one that I was praying for <laughs> going into the year. And we got the fruits of the Spirit, Linda Zert. I don't know if you noticed on our cafe, has put the uh, fruit of the Spirit on our cafe wall. This was my, this was my personal verse uh, going into the, this year. I've just been praying that God would help me to be patient and wait on him. Because typically I'm usually running around, I've got so much to do when something goes wrong, I'm like, darn it, I got so much to do. And then there's these little outbursts. And so I'm grateful for those that, uh, that uh, tolerate me, that can speak into my life and say, hey, you know, dude, knock it off. But, you know, patience is, 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 is being able to put off this delay, this trouble, without getting angry and upset. You know, Psalm 40, 4610 is on my wall. It's on my wall. Be still. Know that I am God. Quit freaking out. So Psalm 4610 is a great one if you're looking for patience. And then we're to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. Forgiving is a decision to let go of resentment, thoughts of revenge, or the need for repayment. We have sinned against God. We are sinners. That requires judgment. There's going to be a payment due for that. Our forgiveness we have through Christ. Christ took that on himself. It didn't go away. Christ just took it from us. And so Christ has through him, we find forgiveness. And so we're called to forgive others just like Christ has forgiven us, which means we take those things, those thoughts of resentments and revenge, even if you're due repayment, and letting them go and trusting God with the result for them. And so we need to forgive. We need to put things on. We need to put on compassionate hearts. We need to put on kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness. And then we need to put on love. Love binds all of these things together. And our culture would define love as a feeling. Our culture would define sex as, as something that's an expression of love, and it's not. Sex is an, an expression of marriage and a relationship. It has nothing to do with love. You can have sex without loving one another. Sex and love aren't connected at all. Sex is something that we get to experience in the context of a marriage. Love is not a feeling. It doesn't, you know, love is, a, is an intentional commitment. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13 spells out for us what love is. Love is patient. It's kind. 
It does not envy or boast. It is not angry or rude. It does not insist on getting its own way. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. It does not rejoice at the wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes in all things. It endures all things, and it never ends. That is the definition of love. It moves beyond our feelings or what we know. God gives us a definition for what love is, and we're to put those things on. We're to put those things on. You know, being raised with Christ is a process of stopping and starting. We put to death, therefore, those things that are earthly in us. We put them away. We turn from them. We, we put them over here and we go this direction and we put on those things that are holy and right and beloved. And we, and we start to evaluate our lives towards God's standards and not the world's. And so if we're going to seek the things that are above, if we're going to set our, things, our minds on the things above, we've got to put to death the earthly things in us and we have to choose to put on the things that we know are, uh, are from God and, and recognize God's standard as, as a rule for our life. Being raised with Christ is a process by recognizing that God has a standard for our living. Realize that we need to change and repent and then we need to respond with action. And so that's what that process of, of setting our minds on things above looks like. You know, it begins by recognizing, realizing, and responding. As you move into verse 15, Paul says this, May the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, all with thankfulness in your heart. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so that's how we are to live our lives. This process of living out our faith, of experiencing our freedom in Christ, begins by understanding what Jesus did for us and why. You know, we can't earn God's favor. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. There's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. If we want to experience more of what Christ has for us, we need to turn from living an earthly way and put our minds on the things that are above. We need to put our faith and trust in him. And so this process of change begins by understanding our need for a relationship with Christ. Our salvation is a gift that God's given us. We're saved by grace through faith, not of your own doing. There's nothing that you can do to earn God's favor. It's a gift from God. And if you have been raised with Christ, you have been created in Christ to do the works that God has prepared for you to do in advance. And we are to walk in those things. And the good news is all this. this we don't have to accomplish all these things on our own. We can't do these things on our own. We can't do these things on our own strength. Which is why when Jesus was ascended, he sent us the Holy Spirit as a helper, as a comforter. Jesus in John 16 says this, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away... The helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so we have the Holy Spirit with us now. And, and he is today convicting the world of sin. He's convicting us of our righteousness and judgment. When he does come, he's going to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in him. Christ sending the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin. The world is a sinful place. The Holy Spirit's task is to convict the world of their sin. No amount of preaching or pleading or pointing fingers or telling somebody what they need to do is going to convict them of sin unless the Holy Spirit is at work in their life. We can't come to Christ on our own. 
We can only come if the Holy Spirit is drawing us to himself. No one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. There are some things that we can't do on our own. It doesn't matter what we tell people, what you tell your kids. It doesn't matter how much we preach at people. It's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to convict people of sin. He convicts those people that do not yet believe in him. And he helps them to understand their need for him so that they might enter into a relationship with him. And then the Holy Spirit convicts us concerning righteousness. There's a righteous standard that we are all held to. Despite the world's stubborn denial of absolute truth, there's an absolute truth that we find in Scripture. It's God's standard. And who, that, who is that standard barrier of righteousness? Jesus points to himself as that standard. I am that standard. I have gone to the Father. I have overcome death. I'm seated at the right hand of the Father to prove that I am now your standard. And so Jesus gives us a new standard by which we can evaluate our lives. And so he convicts us with regard to righteousness and what it means to live a life that is seeking after and pursuing. And then concerning judgment, the world is facing judgment. The Holy Spirit is also convicts them of this truth. Do you know there are people that don't have a relationship with Christ, that don't believe in Jesus, that are still wondering what on earth is going on in the world? If you want to enter a conversation with somebody about end times, that doesn't require to have a relationship with Christ. In fact, the Holy Spirit's using those conversations in many cases to draw people into a relationship with himself because everybody wants to know what's going to happen at the end. You know, there is a day of reckoning that is scheduled. It is an appointed hour that the Father is going to send the Son and he is going to convict the world regardless of regarding that judgment. There's a day of reckoning coming. And this day of Judgment, this reckoning, started with Satan himself, who has already been judged. When Christ overcame death on the cross, Satan was defeated. Death has been defeated concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has already been judged. And so the Holy Spirit's work is to convict the non-believer of their need for a relationship with him, to convict them of sin. The role of the Holy Spirit is to convict us in this area of concerning righteousness, of what it means to live a holy life that is genuinely seeking and pursuing the things above And then concerning judgment, because the rule of this world is judged, and we know there's going to be a day of reckoning. You know, God has reflected his infiniteness in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. All authority is his. Jesus alone brings us to the Father. We need to recognize, we need to repent, and we need to respond to the godly standards that we find in Scripture. The Holy Spirit is the one that is working in us and through us as we live out our faith. So it's my prayer for each of us as we go through this series, as we go through our daily lives, that we find ourselves in a position where we could genuinely seek after and set our minds on those things that are above. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, I just want to thank you for this uh, day you've given us today. And um, I just thank you for, um, God, for the opportunity we have to come together to encourage one another in uh, setting our minds on things above. Because I know <laughs> this world has so many things that can be a distraction. There are so many things going on around us that can, can easily pull us into the things of this earth. And so, God, we need to be able to trust you with those things. Help us to be able to see those areas where there's something for us to act on and then be able to trust you with the things that we know we just need to rely on your sovereignty for. And so, God, I just thank you for the words of Paul that he can tell us simply what it means to put to death our old life and uh, put on the new things for our new life. God, I thank you for that hope that we have. And I just pray that you would continue to draw each of us closer to yourself as we continue to live out lives that are good and pleasing to you. And for all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'd love to invite you one more time to stand as you're able in body or in spirit. Let's respond in song together to this word that we have received this morning.
What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to Him. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. No. Mm-hmm. 
We want to thank you once again for spending this time in worship with us this morning. I pray that you will go in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to love and serve God this week. We will see you next Sunday. Have a blessed week in him.